Thank you, Gunnar. Um, last week, we sang my favorite worship song, In Christ Alone. The lyrics were written by Stuart Townend, and it begins, In Christ Alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. To me, it's the perfect song to sing at Easter because it tells the whole story of Jesus Christ, how we came to this earth, was scorned, died on the cross, was buried, but then he rose from the grave and now stands in victory over sin and death. The final verse begins, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior has the power of Christ in them, and that now includes me. But I have not always believed in the power of Christ or in God. I went to a Presbyterian church as a child, um, but my memories of church were boredom. I don't remember singing songs, playing games, or anything really. When I was 13, I started working on Sundays to pay for my horse, so I stopped going to church. As I grew older, I didn't think about God at all. I'm not sure where or when it started, but I became very cynical at the idea of God. As a matter of fact, I ridiculed people, people who believed in him, and I was quite outspoken and rude about it. If you brought up God or religion to me, this response you would get would probably be something like this. Well, God is for people who are too weak to get through life alone. I don't need God. I'm doing okay on my own. Let him go help someone else who isn't as strong and independent as I am. I'm smart enough to figure out things on my own. I don't need God. God is a crutch for people who don't want to take responsibility for their own decisions and lives. Why would you give your hard-earned money to a church? They're just going to use it to pay for their big buildings, expensive cars, fancy clothes, and jewelry. Or why would you want to spend your Sunday mornings in church when you can sleep in, go to breakfast, or go horseback riding? There are plenty more stupid things I've said, but out of respect for you all, I'm not going to repeat them in church. I'm sure you get the idea that I didn't have a clue who God was and what he was about. My impression of religious people was that they never drank alcohol, only watched G-rated movies, never swore, and wore conservative clothes. I didn't want anything to do with that kind of lifestyle. I liked drinking, telling raunchy jokes, using four-letter words, and making fun of Jesus freaks. Rather than believing in the power of Christ, I believe in what I called the power of the three M's, me, men, and money. As far as the me, I was raised to be self-reliant, plus I'm independent by nature. I've always hated asking anyone for help for any reason. Part of that was because I wanted the satisfaction of completing a task on my own, but part of it was I was afraid if I asked someone else for help, then at some point down the road they might ask for my help when it was not convenient for me to return the favor. So I avoided that by just never asking people for help. My mom used to repeat the words of her grandfather, hard work never killed anyone. So I figured I would just work hard and make things happen on my own. I spent the first 38 years of my life working to get whatever I wanted, a career, a husband, a horse, a house, lots and lots of clothes, a new car, whatever I wanted, I went after and I got. The power of men. Well, from the time I was a little girl, I was obsessed with finding the one. Even though I was a tomboy, I was very much attracted to boys, and I knew my prince was out there somewhere. We would meet and fall in love and live happily ever after. I knew deep down that having just the right man in my life would make everything perfect. Well, I met my prince when I was just nine years old. His name was Jim Herpick, and he was cute, smart, funny, and he could ride a horse like there was no tomorrow. Unfortunately, he just saw me as a friend. But I had a plan. I would make him fall in love with me. I spent the next seven years trying to earn his affection. I bought him gifts, cooked him dinner, took care of his pony for him, took him to the movies, whatever I could think. But the magical moment never happened for us. And when he came out of the closet at the age of 16... I decided it was time to move on. 
I wish I could say that the experience cured me of planning and scheming to get a man, but instead I doubled my efforts, assuming that I just hadn't used the right bait. As I moved forward in search of my prince, my plans became more elaborate in my attempts to make a man fall in love with me. A few of the dumber things include leaving home at 18 and giving up college to follow my high school boyfriend to Colorado, racing a Toyota Celica at 135 miles on Highway 8, hanging icicle lights on a guy's house at 10 p.m. in 32-degree weather so it would be a surprise when he got home at midnight and had his house all lit up, riding the giant rubber band ride at the Del Mar Fair. At least his 8-year-old son was impressed. I bought a timeshare in Cancun. A lot of other things not really suitable for a church sermon. I don't know where I got it in my head that I needed to earn or buy a man's love, but it ruled my life for 49 years. The only thing stronger than my love of men was my love of money. Well, the power of money grabbed me at a very young age. If you had money, you could do things and buy stuff. You had power. I earned an allowance for cleaning the bathrooms at home, but at the age of 12, I also started babysitting, working at the stables, cleaning other people's houses all for extra money. We lived on a street called Windsor Circle, and I became known in my family as the Bank of Windsor Circle. I even kept spreadsheets. This is really scary. I still have them about how much I spent and how much I earned. Not surprisingly, I was extremely tight-fisted with my money. If a friend needed an extra two cents to buy ice cream, I would loan them the two cents, but I would make sure I got it back. I justified my actions by telling myself they could always get money from their parents, but I had to earn my money. Even my own parents borrowed cash from me from time to time, and I would record it as a loan, and then when they paid it back, I would record it again on my spreadsheet that they paid me back. When I was in high school, I remember getting angry with my parents one time because they wouldn't pay for something I wanted. So my mom sat me down one day and she showed me their budget. There was the house payment, multiple credit card payments, a car payment, veterinary bills, doctor bills, groceries, and then $300 went to the church every month. Well, I pointed to the amount they set aside for the church and I just said, that's the obvious black hole, that needs to go. That should be paying for my prom dress or my car insurance. I thought giving to a church when you had needs in your own family was crazy. But my mom told me that my father insisted on giving a tenth of their income to the church. Well, my crazy parents retired at the age of 62, moved to Hawaii, and their house and BMW are now paid in full. They have been blessed financially for their obedience and tithing. So believing in the power of the three M's, I spent my late teens and early 20s breaking all of the Ten Commandments and living a life as far from God as I could get. When I got married at the age of 28, I refused to get married in a church, and I even interviewed three different ministers before I found one who wouldn't turn my wedding into a religious ceremony. I started climbing the corporate ladder, was making decent money, had a beautiful home, a timeshare in Cancun, a new car. I was living the good life. Then two months before my 10-year anniversary, I discovered I was pregnant, found out my husband was in love with another woman, suffered a miscarriage, my husband left, and I got bronchitis. I ended up in urgent care three times in the next month, and frankly, I wanted to die. This is where the power of the three M's had gotten me. People often say I may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but the thing is, I had always thought I was. How could someone as smart as me get so messed up? I hated not being in control of my life, and I started searching for where I went wrong. I talked to friends, to family, to coworkers, to anyone who seemed to have their life together, and they all pointed me to the same thing, their faith in God. Well, I had nothing else to lose, so I began to visit churches. I found a church home and started going to a Bible study. As fortune would have it, we were studying Genesis 28. It's the story of Jacob leaving home and traveling to Haran to the home of his relatives. God came to Jacob as he dreamed and gave him a message about his future. 
When Jacob awoke, he made a pillar out of the stone he had laid his head on and vowed, If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob became the first biblical character to commit to tithing. It inspired me. Right then and there, I decided that each week I would give a tenth of whatever I received to the church. Now, I have to be honest, there was still that part of me that felt I needed to earn or buy love. So my motives were not what they should be. But that's how God works sometimes. My financial situation at that point was also challenging. I was newly single, living on two acres with a house and a pool to take care of, six pets, a car payment, and 140 fruit trees to maintain. I worked in Carlsbad, I was gone 12 hours a day, and I was trying to take care of everything myself to save money. But I made up my mind that I was going to be the best giver in the church, so I started writing my tithing checks. And God started blessing me immediately. I got an unexpected bonus at work that helped me pay some bills. I got a job offer from a company much closer to home, but when I tried giving my two-week notice to my current employer, they offered me a 25% increase to stay for at least a year. Then I was able to hire a pool cleaner and a pet sitter. A year after my divorce, I sold my house for 50000 more than I thought I could get for it and rented a house closer to work for a year. Then due to changes in the real estate market, I was able to buy a house one year later right across the street from the previous home, but for 100000 less than what I'd sold the previous home for. I got another bonus at work that helped me pay off credit card debt. And then finally, I, offered, I was given a job offer to come back to Valley Center, and I took a 25% pay cut to be closer to home and to have less stress in my life. Financially, it didn't, seem to make, it didn't seem to be the best decision, but I felt God was behind it, and he made it work. This was all in the first two years of my commitment to giving. God seemed to be giving me one affirmation after another that I could trust him with my finances. Algebra had been one of my favorite subjects in school, so it's possible my fascination with tithing was that it appeared to meet the parameters of a formula. Tithing plus faith equals blessing. I liked the orderliness of it, the simplicity. That's when I became passionate about tithing, and I even gave testimonies in church on a few occasions. I felt like I had it all figured out. Then in 2004, I remarried. I tried to convince myself it was a relationship from God, but the truth is I wasn't listening to God. He tried to get my attention several times before I walked down that aisle, but I ignored him. I had, fa- I had fallen back under the power of men and put a, life, a man in my life before God. The marriage ended badly in a very short time. My financial situation changed dramatically at this point. During my brief marriage, I'd quit my job as a controller and started my own bookkeeping business. I'd also sold my home and bought a house with my ex. Because of the divorce, my choices were either losing my home or buying out my ex-husband. Well, I didn't think I had a prayer in qualifying for the jumbo loan that was needed, but I felt like God wanted me to stay put. So I filled out the loan papers and I started praying. Shockingly, I got the loan. But then I had to learn to trust God in a whole new way. My new mortgage payment was $3,700 a month. And the first time I wrote out that check, I started shaking and my stomach started quivering. I wondered what could I have been thinking to take on this obligation. My sister suggested I stop tithing in order to make my house payment. But in Exodus 23:16, the Israelites are told, Celebrate the feast of the harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your fields. And verse 23:19, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Tithing is not one of the Ten Commandments, and it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that if you don't tithe, you will go to hell. 
But God makes promise after promise to us that if we trust him with our money, he will bless us. In Malachi 3.8, the Lord says, In tithes and offerings you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. I knew in my gut that if I had to cheat God to stay in my house, I shouldn't have the house. Instead, I started going through the list in my head of God, everything God had already done for me, and I calmed down and kept tithing faithfully. I knew I could trust him. I could spend hours telling you all the ways, all the ways God provided for me over the next few years. Unexpected bonuses, bringing me new clients, keeping my pets and myself healthy, providing the resources to help me with my property. He never failed me. I turned over the power of money to God, and it appeared my formula, tithing plus faith equals blessings, was working. But on September 29, 2009, I realized I'd missed a key element of the formula, love. God's love for me to be exact. I had grown to trust him with my money, to have faith in him, but somehow I had missed the most important lesson of all from God, and that is that he loves each and every one of us exactly the same. What happened on that day is a whole other story, but God showed me in the most beautiful and amazing way that he loved me and cared for me. I realized in that moment that he, he could love me after all I'd done, and after the way I'd fought him and run from him, I could trust him with all of me. Looking back, I see now how God used the power of men to get my attention, then spent the next nine years of my Christian walk teaching me I could trust him with what was most important to me, money. The last six years, he used that trust to teach me I could trust him with what was most important to him, me. He finally got what he wanted all along, my heart. It doesn't matter that my motives were not what they should have been at the beginning. God met me where I was at and has gradually weaned me away from the power of the three M's and now has me standing in the power of Christ. It doesn't mean I don't make mistakes and that my life is perfect. But like the song says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. This is the power of Christ in me. Thank you.